soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So as we come to chapter 26, we've looked at the life of Abraham, the father of faith. He lived around 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Christ. We know God made these incredible promises to him, and the promises kept expanding. You're going to have a child. From your child will come a nation. And then from he expanded the promises that nations will come from your child. Then kings, and ultimately the king of kings, Jesus, comes to the world through the descendants of Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish people, and of course, Jesus is king of the Jews. And throughout the Old Testament, we have the genealogy or the the line of descendants that bring us from Abraham in 2000 BC to Jesus being born when he was born in uh, Anya Dominion, the year of our Lord, AD. So we have all that. And Abraham and Sarah had that incredible promise about his son, but they were past being able to have children, and God gave them the son Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. And Isaac is the focal point of our chapter tonight. Isaac has his own faith. Isaac was comforted after his mom's death when, through Eliezer, the Lord brought to him his wife, Rebecca. He married Rebecca, and then we would have seen in the previous chapter how she was barren, just like his mother had been barren, but he pleaded before the Lord for his wife, Rebecca and God gave her twins, gave her Jacob and Esau, but that's the next generation. So it's Abraham and Sarah, then Isaac and Rebecca, and then Esau and Jacob are now alive, and they're the twins, and they're younger. So Isaac is the son of promise, and the promised land is modern Israel, the land of Canaan, and a nation's going to come from them, but most importantly from that nation is going to come Jesus Christ the king of the Jews, the king of kings, and through him, the good news of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ will go out to all the world. And that's why we're told in Romans that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news to the Jews first, and then the nations or the Gentiles. And we are the recipients of these blessings tonight, 4,000 years later. So as we come to Isaac, he is in the promised land. His mother's passed away, his father's passed away, and now it's his time. It's his time to find his traction with his faith and to go forward with these promises. Now, in chapter 25, we are told after the death of Abraham that God blessed Isaac. And it's important that we understand that God's not done just because someone steps into eternity or one generation's done. But Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. We've been talking about that. It's important that we have a vision for a better future for the next generation than the life we've even lived. And to think anything less than that is to limit God in his character, to limit God in his promises, and I think even borders on a a level of pride and potential blasphemy to think that we're the best generation, that somehow God can't do more for our children or our children's children than he's done for us, and somehow that we're going to limit God. Because faith, like love, hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things, and that's how we want to be. We want to be people of faith and optimism for the next generation. 
And Isaac is the next generation. Now, sometimes the next generation isn't so good for a country or for a family or for people. And then sometimes God just does a great work in a particular generation because he chooses to. And he doesn't do the same work in the next generation because he chooses not to. But that's his business. And we should never, ever limit God to what he can do because of our limited scope of faith or perspective of what we think God should or shouldn't do according to us being king or queen of the universe, but rather to always submit ourselves to those promises of God and to see everything, our reality, through the prism and the eyes of faith for our life and the next generation. In fact, I believe those people that are most optimistic in life and spirit-filled are those who not only believe God's promises for their life, but see them expanding even a greater capacity to future generations. And we want to be that people. So as we come to Isaac, it's his time. He's a man in a man's world. He's married. He's got boys that are twins, completely different from each other. But they're not the focal point tonight. The focal point tonight is Isaac getting traction with his faith in his relationship with God. And there he is in the promised land. And we're told that there was a famine in the land. We are told that God told him to live in the land and dwell in the land. And he was blessed because Abraham, his father, obeyed the Lord. But he would be blessed as he obeyed the Lord. We are told the men in the land were interested in his wife. And he lied about his wife. But God had his back on that one. We are told he had conflict in the land. Land that was promised to him. All this land is promised to him. We're told he had unclogged the wells that had been filled up by the adversaries of his dad. Abraham, after his dad died, people plugged those wells and tried to limit the blessings on his life and the wealth that God intended for his life, spiritual and practical. And he had to confront that. There's jealousy because he's blessed in the land. He's got great fruit in the land. He has to forgive people while he's in the land. And because he's a forgiving type of person, he can even make a covenant with people at the well of oaths, the seven wells of oaths. He's an amazing man. But the apex, the mountaintop of this man's life is found for us in verse 12. We're in the middle of this famine in the land, and he's living in the land, and he's dwelling in the land, and he had been afraid in the land. We are told, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. They actually told him to go away, but God told him to stay. So you can only go so far to obey God and appease your neighbors at the same time. He sowed in the land. That's really our title tonight. Isaac sowed in the land. Now, he sowed like a farmer, practically. He sowed a seed. But note, he sowed it during a famine. I've been saying this for many years now, that we all get a famine. Paul the Apostle said, I've learned to abound and to abase. Paul knew what it was like to have much things, and he knew what it was like to have a lack of things. And thus he could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he learned that Christ was faithful when he was abounding and when he was abased. Christ is faithful when the crops are, are plentiful and Christ is faithful in the famine. That's what Paul said to the Philippians. 
He actually went on to say to the Philippians that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But he sowed practically. Isaac sowed practically. But those pra- the practical sowing and the practical material blessings are symbolic of a greater blessing. Because the real blessings of Isaac are not the herds. It's not the crop. The real blessings of Isaac are the spiritual blessings being the son of promise through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, would come. It is not the herds of Isaac that bless us tonight, but it is the promises pointing to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that bless us tonight in this gathering. We are not singing these praise songs with Danny Donnelly before this Bible study because of the herds that Isaac had 4,000 years ago. We're singing these praise songs because of the promises pointing to Jesus that Isaac had 4,000 years ago. And we are told in Hebrews 11 that Isaac dwelt as a patriarch in the tents in the promised land, for he, like his father, looked for the sea which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Like his father, he never built a house in a land the size of Southern California that God had promised him. Even in this chapter, we're told he's a tent dweller, building altars and digging wells. It's a wonderful testimony of his life. Isaac prospered materially, which is temporarily. But more importantly, he prospered spiritually. And while this is the apex and the high water mark, the high tide mark of his life, it is later in this chapter that we read, he pitched his tent, built his altar, and dug another well. So when we think about Isaac sowing in the land, we think practical, but we must translate it to spiritual. Not just because that's a context, but because the Bible translates the greatest law of the universe being spiritual of sowing and reaping. For we are told that sowing and reaping is a spiritual law equal and greater to the law of gravity in time, space, and matter, this dimension. Most world religions that are faulty in their end game, many of them have elements of practical universal truths. And even the Hindu who believes in karma has a concept of sowing and reaping. In the surf culture, someone might say, well, that's bad juju. That's actually a religious term confirming bad karma for doing bad things. Most people that we live with in our society believe in some form of justice for sowing and reaping with our words, our actions, and reactions. These are scarred and marred elements of a remnant of truth that's less than the fullness of the biblical truth. For it's in the biblical truth that we are told if we sow to the spirit, we will reap life. But if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. So when we think about sowing in the land practically, the greater element of truth is always the spiritual. The gospel of John is Jesus doing physical things to teach spiritual things. Drink from this water again. You'll thirst again, but if you drink from the water I give, you'll not thirst. I am the bread of life. You seek me not because of who I am, but because I fed you. But I am the bread of life. So always elevating. Time, space, and matter, temporal, to understand spiritual. 
So when we think of Isaac sowing in the land, we need to elevate our thinking beyond material wealth and temporal wealth and elevate it to the spiritual wealth. The wealth of the character of Christ in our life and the wealth of our lives being given over to the kingdom of God to the fullest extent possible for his glory that our life will have lasting impact for time and eternity. The internal character of sowing to the spirit and the external actions that reflect the life that is sowing to the spirit internally. The external sowing to the spirit within the body of Christ, the universal church, through local church, universal church, to the glory of Jesus Christ in our generation. That's our application. And in this passage, we get this principle that's a key thought there in verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land, which is the land where he's supposed to be, the land with a the famine. There's, so he could have used the excuse, there's a famine, how can I sow? Isn't it interesting that he, contextually, he sowed in the most difficult of times? That means he had an eye of optimism and faith for a better tomorrow than what his today was. We can't miss that. It's not a main point, but it's worth noting. He sowed in the land where God told him to dwell. There's a lot of people that live in Southern California. They're enticed to live somewhere else because it'd be cheaper, more affordable, less stressful, and less taxed. But if you're called to live in Rome in 66 AD, you live in Rome in 66 AD, even if Nero is the emperor. We need to live where God has planted us to live. You know that saying that people say, bloom where you're planted? And that's the idea here. God has us where he wants us to be. We're here. This is where we live. This is the land he's called us to dwell in. And if he's calling you to dwell somewhere else, if you're seeking him here today, he'll make it clear for you if he's going to send you somewhere else. But he always meets you where you're at. It's like the mall. You are here. Footlocker's over there. But you are here. And his will always starts with where we're at, where we dwell. And this is where we dwell. A famine, the land to dwell, and the land where God was going to bring great blessing to him in the human experience. A land where there was conflict. A land where the wells had been plugged up by the adversaries. A land where there would be jealousy. And in this land, it says that he sowed in that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. So in the panoramic layout of his life at this juncture, that he sowed in that land and in the same year he sowed, he reaped a hundredfold. That's a great return, of course. And you know, the Bible has a hundredfold return on certain things. We know that the good soil produces 30, 60, hundredfold in the parable of the soils. That we can't outgive God in any capacity because the, God sowed the world, he gave his son. And nothing we could give would ever equal that. And whatever devotion and adoration we have in service to the Lord in our life, is really motivated by that because we love him because he first loved us. And the love of God has been shed in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been freely given to us. And so our sowing of good things of the kingdom and our reaping of the benefits of sowing is just the overflow of Christ working in us for his good pleasure. And we reap the benefits. In fact, when my son-in-law Nate was here this week, 
And he was really happy the surf was pumping the whole week he was here. He was on vacation, too. He wasn't leading worship or teaching. He works hard for his dad at Vero Beach, and he was out here for Thanksgiving. We had a great time. But we watched some sports, and somehow we got on, because we like sports, you know, and he's a sports guy. And we got on a, a football coach, and I go, I, I know that name. Why do I know the name of that coach? And I, oh, he was the coach, defensive coordinator for Carolina when they were really good. And I read this quote. I go, Nate, listen to this quote. He said, what we're trying to do here in Buffalo, this is the Buffalo Bills, is we're trying to bring out the best version in every player we have in this environment. That's our culture. Sean McDermott. I thought, that's a great quote, especially with my Olympic background and training culture, what your goals are, your organization, your home, your family, your church, your ministry. We are trying to bring out the best version of every one of our athletes. And they said, we don't have any superstars in Buffalo. We have good athletes that give their best effort as part of a team. And that's what makes us so special as a team this year. And I said, Nate, that's what you and I need to do with our ministries. We need to be the best version we can be of Jesus Christ working in our life for our ministries to the benefit of the people we're called to serve. And then we need to inspire the people we lead and serve to be the best version they can be of their lives in Jesus Christ. This is the objective of our culture in the ministries we lead. If they do it for football, how much more should we do it for the kingdom? When we think about Isaac, in his sowing in the land and in his reaping a hundredfold in the one year, he's, he's rolling. In a famine, he's the MVP. The neighbors are jealous of him. He's different than them. He's not lusting for someone else's wife like his neighbors. Who is this woman? What's her story? You know, the men come after his wife. We're told that in this chapter earlier on. But he's like, okay. And in the midst of famine, no excuses. In a losing culture, in a scoreboard totally against you, he sows and he reaps a hundredfold in that year. And it says, the Lord blessed him. That's you being your best you in character of Christ in the Holy Spirit and the fruit of Christ coming forth from your life by the Spirit to the benefit of others in in and through the glory of the kingdom of God. So as we think about his sowing and his reaping, now we come to these three key different uses associated with prospering. So let's look at them. The man began to prosper. And he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That's progressive. His father was given the promises progressively by the Lord. They expanded. We saw that. This is progressive. This is the woman whose life is extremely fruitful. This is the man whose life is extremely fruitful. I just have to draw your attention to it again. The man began to prosper. So we need to think about that. And he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. This is what we want people to see from our life, the Holy Spirit working in us, Christ magnified. 
that we would begin to prosper in that relationship with Christ to a greater degree. That we would continue prospering in a spirit-filled life, like Galatians would tell us, in the fruit of the Spirit, to a greater degree, until we are so prosperous in everything we do that we walk in the room, we tilt the room, because we are just prospering in the power of the Holy Spirit to the witness and the glory of Jesus Christ. This is who we want to be. This is what we want our life to be like. As we're wrapping up 2019, and we many of us had goals and New Year's resolutions, stuff like that, and we'll, we'll start reloading, right? Or maybe reloading right now. Been reflecting a lot about this last year in my own life, all the changes. I mean, just in two months, I had Luke and Bell and Clementine living with us. Then he got the great job with Hyundai, Hyundai and Corey, our former deacon, he moved to Denver. And now he's thriving and he's prospering in Denver. He loves his job. He's, he's crushing it. It's incredible. His superiors are blown away, and I knew they would be. He's, Luke's incredible. Then Jake and Leah moved in with us with the grandkids because they bought a house and they had to do all this work on it, and they were house homeless for a while between transition. They were in the same room, and then they moved in their house, and right when they moved in the house, Hannah and Nate came, and they took the room. Meanwhile, Timmy's still in the shed, which is not really quite a shed, but kind of is. But if you live on a ship for three months in Alaska, a shed looks pretty good. And now today, Timmy moved into his room. In just two months, we've had the change of every one of our kids have lived in the room with the view of the street. Nothing stays the same. And no matter who's in that room across the hall, we want to keep growing, and we want to keep sowing, and we want to keep prospering in the things of the Spirit. If you told me in January, the beginning of this year, that that would take place, I wouldn't have known what to think. See, every year brings different things our way that we're not sure about. You might have job security. You might have job insecurity. The insecure job might become the most stable job, and the stable job might be gone in a day. You just never know. Things can change so fast. But what doesn't change is our lives sowing to the Spirit and reaping the fruit of a Spirit-filled life to the benefit of the kingdom of God in and through the local church, to the universal church, and to the community and the people around us who do not know the Lord. That will never change. So what I'm saying is our sowing in a famine or in prosperity, our sowing where there's peace or conflict, the consistency is the Lord who does not change. And so as you think about what a new year, what this year finishing looks like, and what you think a new year might look like, God's not going to change in his primary objectives for our life, his blessings and promises over our life, and the macro of what he wants to do in and through our life. Now, location, specifics, logistics, that that can change profoundly. That's like Paul said, I've learned to abound, I've learned to abase, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we want to sow. Before he prospered, what happened? You can see it in the text. So let's leave a blank. He began to prosper after he sowed. If you're the center of your universe and everything orbits around you, then that's not, that's not really how it works. Sowing is losing your life in Christ, and it's serving others for Christ. That's where the sowing begins. If it's a me-centric life that you live, 
It's about you. But it's a Christ-centered life. It's about Christ and others and your sowing. So givers sow, takers take. They're the, they're the gravitational pull. Givers give and they keep on giving because they're always willing to keep on forgiving. Takers taken is never enough, even though they've almost taken all your stuff. So you have to decide, and I think most of you here I know pretty well, the disposition is your givers. Givers sow. He began to prosper when he sowed. One of my favorite sports quotes for years has been the great Wayne Gretzky, the hockey player, said, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Mike McIntosh is the Calvary Chapel version of this, where Mike McIntosh will attempt any ministry at any time, anywhere, under any circumstance. That guy has, if he was a fisherman at Huntington Pier, he'd have 50 poles on each side of the pier out there by rubies. I mean, he's just always casting his net, always like, hey, let's try this, let's try that, let's try this, let's try that. Alex Lopez said to me just last week, we were talking about ministry and youth and the future generation, and he said, you know, you just try different ideas, and he goes, you only need to come up with the one that works. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.